You're listening to Speaking of Racism, the podcast dedicated to frank, honest, and respectful discussions about race and racism in the U.S. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Pull up a chair and let's talk. Special thanks to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know featuring Jay Lang. So today on the show, I'm welcoming Jonathan and April. They are from the podcast Black And. So Jonathan and April are a millennial biracial brother and sister pair and host of the podcast Black And. Jonathan is an attorney and diversity and inclusion practitioner with a specialty in higher education. April is an HR professional at an e-commerce company. Both have spent their lives speaking out against racism and white supremacy and advocating for change, but decided to start a podcast in order to have frank and honest discussions with and for white allies and anti-racists. Black And examines social and political issues and current events all through the lens of dismantling white supremacy and sets out specific action items for white allies. So welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan, and I'm really excited to have you guys on. How long has the podcast been going? So first, thanks for telling us that you're a fan. We're fans of yours as well. So um, thanks. yeah, it's been what? Four months now, April? Yeah. Wow, time flies. Yeah, right? Ooh. Yeah, so you have, what, six episodes at this point that we're recording? Yes. Before I get into some of the details of the podcast and all of that, I want to hear a little bit about you guys. So what went into starting this podcast? Whose idea was it? How long have you been thinking about this and dreaming this up? And maybe we start with whoever's idea this was. So who first said, <laughs> hey, let's do a podcast together about anti-racism? I think that was me. Um, and April can correct me if I'm wrong. I had been doing a a bunch of sort of outreach and my own sort of activism work a lot on social media a lot in sort of lecture series and writing and a few people either mentioned podcast to me asking which I listened to or suggested that it would be cool to start one and I knew I didn't want to do it by myself for sure and so April is probably the smartest person I know and so and and the person with whom I'm most comfortable talking with you know about these issues and so I think I think I just texted you April like hey do you want to start a podcast <laughs> I thought he was kidding at first, but I'm very glad that he wasn't. It sounded like a great idea to me. We are always talking about the things that we now have episodes about anyway. So, you mm -hmm. know, it made sense to, if people want to listen, let's, let's share our conversations. I really love the way your show is organized. It's incredibly oh, well thought out. So episode one, I think everybody listening needs to be listening to you guys. Episode one, you lay out something that you call FTRs. And those FTRs are fundamental truths about racism, right? So does anybody want to talk about and just give us kind of an FTR light? We wanted to give our listeners a foundation or a filter through which to hear mm -hmm. our subsequent conversation um, and interviews. And we realized that some of the things that we were going to talk about and some of the statements that we were going to make out loud might seem a little jarring to any, you know, you know, random listener on the street. So we wanted to give people a foundation to know where we were coming from. So we really thought about mm -hmm. it a lot and we came up with these five truths about racism. 
criticism. And we, yeah, we thought it made sense to begin our podcast with those so that it was clear from the get-go. This is where we're basing our subsequent conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, we tried to keep them as simple as possible, but we wanted to we wanted to make it really clear that we believe in these five statements and we are going to base our conversations off of them, off of these truths. So I can I can go over them if you'd like too. Number one is racism is defined as white people benefiting from the institutional white supremacy and black people being harmed by it. And number two is sorry, I'm just I'm going off the top of my head here. So if they're not verbatim, number two is being called quote racist should not be considered a slur to people, and it should definitely not be a conversation ender. It's just a it's a state of being and something that we all need to talk about. Number three is it's white people's responsibility to fix racism. They're the only ones with the power to do so and should feel that moral responsibility as well. Number four is when engaging in conversations about race, the most important thing that white people can do is listen. Number Mm. five is all of those, the four I just listed, all of them apply to Jonathan and myself. Um, We try to make it very clear that um, we are biracial, we are half white. And so when we're talking about whiteness, we are inherently talking about ourselves as well. And we want to make that really stress that um, we are aware of that. And we too have lots to learn and are affected by our FTRs. Okay. So with the podcast, you guys follow, you have these, these three things, you have your FTRs, and then you have what you call expert guests, and you also have action items for white allies. So how did you come about deciding on this format? Before we even have an expert on, we also just the two of us sort of chat about a topic usually. Um, and it's it's sort of in the context of what's on our mind, what's on one of our mind. And so that's another part that comes sort of that's another intentional segment that we're at least trying to do so we can cover as many topics as we can. We thought that it would be too difficult to to organize an entire episode at the length we wanted it, you know. 45 minutes or so around one single topic. Mm -hmm. And so we also knew we wanted to do interviews with people and we knew it would be hard to find enough to say and with with competence about a particular topic that the expert would be also talking about because the whole point is that they are an expert in this and and we're not. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to just break down as many, try to hit as many sort of subject matters as we can in one episode, but with the main portion of it being this conversation with this this expert in their field. It was also really important to us, and we do this at the end of every every episode, to give an, an action item for specifically for white people who are looking to make a difference here. Um, that's something that we hadn't I've never heard in other podcasts or even other sort of regular publications of actual sort of everyday changes, actions that our listeners can can carry out in order to try to help change things. And so my and April's, I think, biggest, most successful pieces of writing involved specific action items, specific sort of uh, goals for people to set. And so we wanted to make sure to include that as well. In the yeah. Podcast. And to sort of, you know, jump off that, our podcast is directed towards white people. We are speaking to white people and, um, you know, talking about generally 
how we can end racism and the problems that we do see today. But we also, I think we, you know, full disclosure, we also wanted a place to talk with each other. And so our first sure. segment, our, our sort of what's on your mind segment has been a really great space for us to, I wouldn't say vent necessarily, but to give people, white people particularly, an idea of the things that your average Black person may think about throughout the day or the week, um, experiences mm-hmm. that we've had um, with racism and topics that are that are actually on our mind, however frequently. And so that, that segment has really been a nice way to, um, I think in part, to, to teach and to say like, you know, here, listen, these are the things that, you know, Black and brown people think about on the daily but also it's it's almost therapeutic i'll speak for myself at least for me to um have a space where Agreed. we can just talk mm-hmm. with each other and and openly and honestly and really tell people what was on my mind today what was weighing on me that i would really like to express so that's been that's been really nice to have and i'll even add to that you know we want to make sure also that we wanted to make sure also that black voices were being supported and advanced through our platform. And so the overwhelming majority of the guests that we have on are not white. Um, there right. are, you know, we, we think there are enough white people out there giving their take on things. And I hope you don't take offense to this, Jennifer. No, no, um, not but, at all. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, there are plenty, you know, next, our next episode, we're talking to a social media, you know, content creator and sort of lifestyle blogger. And she's just a young black woman. And it's like, I bet you not one white person in my life has ever heard from or spoken to someone that does what this young woman does. And so, yes, but they've heard other people who are in that space who are not, who are white um, and who are, you know, um, not young black women. And so, you know, we didn't, we don't often make a huge deal about the fact that the folks we bring on are black or non-white, but we just are trying to illustrate and, and provide a platform for a, a variety of different voices and a variety of different types of black and brown people um, who are brilliant and so, um, and are experts in, in their field. And we want to see what they think about our, the mission that our podcast has and goals that they can set for, for white folks as well. Yeah. And I really love that because I was kind of thinking through how, you know, it clearly your podcast, like you said, you're gearing it toward white people and yet you're doing it in a way that isn't centering whiteness, which is a challenge. And it's a challenge I have being a white woman who is using my podcast and platform. And I don't even feel comfortable calling it mine. I kind of run the logistics. I do the editing, but I really try not to insert myself so much into it because I really want to give space for people like you're saying that a lot of white people wouldn't have a clue even exist. And so, um, so it's interesting because I think you guys do that so well. It's like you're centering the black voice and, and experience and then still giving these, these things for white people to think about and to take away and these action items for them to, to take part in. And that's just, I feel like that's not something that I can fully do. You know, right. I'm limited being a white woman. You know, and you so know, we, we say this all the time, you know, if it's about race, you know, if the topic is race and racism, white people by virtue of their whiteness and and the way that whiteness isn't even really considered a race in this country you can say you know what was that person's race or were they white like that sentence makes sense you know um by virtue of 
white being the norm and white people not experiencing race the way that that black and brown people do when the topic is race and racism i I think that white people as a race are the least qualified to speak on it because yeah it's an experience-based expertise it's an experience-based understanding that you can't know until your neighbor asks you of your your neighbor of a year law a year asks you if you lived on the block and you know what that means as a black person you know um Mm -hmm. and so yeah it is we appreciate what you're doing in your podcast because you're you are giving platform to so many other voices to speak on race and it is I think it's it's great because it is we are the sort of by living in America, we become the sort of experts on this to the extent that there are race experts. Right. Um, you know, and and so we appreciate any time that we're able to sort of speak on that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, just to kind of speak to and and kind of highlight the complete and I'm not sure what word to use, because I think if I say stupidity, like I like to use the term stupid because I really I don't know if you've read the book by Crystal Fleming, How to Be Less Stupid About Race. And yet I feel like stupid also could allude to the fact that like there's just this innocence and naivete and and therefore you kind of get off the hook and you're not responsible. So I'm not really sure what what the word is. And I would love input on that. But for me, as a white woman, it took me moving into a predominantly black city and neighborhood to realize what segregation was and to the extent with which we live in it today. And that, you know, like it's humbling, but I'm like, I mean, that was ridiculous. I I literally, but I think it just points out to what you're saying about people who are white, who don't even realize that that's a race. It's just the norm, right? And so I remember that that sort of awakening that I had where I was like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> you know, where it's just like, wow, okay, this has been all around me since the beginning of this that's nation, so right? <laughs> I'm, you know, 38 years old and I'm just seeing it now because I am intentionally living in this space like and that's just it's tragic sad reality you know like there are so many words to apply to that i mean i think it is like it is built so i hate this term also it's it's not it's not gonna be any better than stupid but it's sort of (laughs) built-in ignorance you know um Uh the whole ignorance is bliss thing like that is that's real um and so it's sort of experiential ignorance um because it's not something that you can ever experience. And so you can learn about it, but you'll never truly experience it in the way that black and brown people do you meaning white people. Um, right. And so even, you know, stupid implies that you can get smarter and learn it. Um, mm-hmm. And ex- and ex- so does ignorance, right? You're ignorant until you take the, a class on the thing and then you're not ignorant anymore. And that's not right either. Um, so it's sort of experience-based right. ignorance. Yeah, but yeah, and it's, it's a tough one. It's interesting yeah, because it's an interesting one. that's when we were thinking about our FTRs and white people learning about race and racism, the whole aspect in general about, you know, learning, learning what racism is, mm. is so interesting. I can I tell you just put that um, in place for April. <laughs> Um, it's, it's so interesting because as a, as a black person, um, you learn by going to the school and that's what I, when I think about learning, I read a book or, um, I go to school or I'm, I, you know, sit in a class or I have a teacher on something, but with racism, it's so different. Um, Mm. 
and it's it almost sounds it makes it sound like an it's an you know exclusive club white people can never you know know about racism <laughs> that's that's our thing um and yeah gotta know and, someone but, to get in but you know right. in reality it is like that and I think it's so important for white people to hear that, that, yeah. you know, there is nothing you can do to understand racism on the same level as the black or brown person. There is literally nothing you can do. And right. and that's hard to hear. And it's hard to accept, especially when you have um, people who so want to be involved and to help change and to, you know, to be active anti-racist. Um, but I think that is a, a very important first step um, and, you know, conversation to have with yourself as a white person is, number one, I don't know and I can't and will never know. And so now let me go from there. Let me go, you know, through that filter. Right. Let me learn yeah. through that filter and, and, and hear through that. I think that's that's so important as a, as a first step. Yeah. Totally cosign. Yeah. I mean, no, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's tough because we're saying to white people, so you're all, you all experience white, uh, you all experience benefits from being white at the expense mm -hmm. of black and brown people. So that's April and my definition of racism. And it's a lot of other people too. And we're saying all white people are racist in some way, if not just subconsciously or through the things that they benefit. From. Yeah. But you should also, so there's nothing you can do to change that. You, there's nothing you can do to change the fact that you are racist and experiencing benefits of white supremacy but we want you to try and we want you to learn and try to get better understanding that what april just said is true also that there is no way you ever will completely learn it you won't ever completely have a full understanding of what we're talking about but we want you to get better because the better you are the less bad it is for the people who are being harmed at your expense um and so it it's a tough ask, of course, because it is, you know, we're saying that this is an uphill battle for you and you'll never get to the top of the hill because you'll never mm -hmm. learn it. But um, it's one of those things where not only is it, like April mentioned earlier, incumbent upon white people to change these things morally because there are people suffering because of white supremacy. But it's also it's sort of our shot, right? Like if black people could change racism, we would we would have done it by now. Um if we and I, I get flack every time I say that, but we if we all want it to be over. And so um, no matter how hard we try, the systems are so strong and so um, deeply sort of um, nestled into our country's sort of institutions and our and the fabric of our country that there's not, you know, there's no. Yeah, there's no there's no one who can fix it other than the people in power and other than people that control those institutions. And those are and have always been white people um and and the the white race generally um as as they've come to create it and call it now that would be an entire <laughs> podcast there discussing oh, yeah. you know just kind of the the ins and outs of that idea and and even how you know like because i struggle with that i i totally understand what you're saying and i still struggle with the fact that that is white supremacy at its core right yeah. you know the fact that the people who created and benefit are the ones who have to dismantle still just you know it, it makes me uncomfortable but i understand that there has to be their their work has to happen from all people but at the same it, time too it's yeah. just like oh you well, know and it makes it and it makes it harder too because the incentives are all backwards so you 
you as an individual, as a white woman, don't have a personal incentive to dismantle white supremacy because it helps you. It, right. It, and, and dismantling it will hurt you. Or at least right. it'll feel like hurt. And and that comes in the form of discomfort and awkwardness or, you know, being scolded at your job for always talking about race or um, being, you know, the unfollowed writer. by friends right. and family exactly. right. from, from holidays. Right. All, all they post things. about on Facebook anymore is is race. And yeah. blah, 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 oh, blah. Yeah. It's like, right. So we should all be so obsessed with race. And that's what it will take in order for any meaningful change to happen. But yeah, it doesn't, I'm sure it doesn't feel good to white people to do this. And so it is even more difficult because of that, which is also just just making the hill even steeper. So one of the episodes that I really appreciated, I'm still on episode one in, in talking about episodes here. When you guys talked about interracial dating and April mm -hmm. in particular, like for you talking about just you guys grew up in predominantly white spaces and you discussed sort of your concept of beauty and challenging yourself to surround yourself with different pictures and images instead of what you had been surrounded by in these predominantly white spaces. And I thought that was really powerful uh, in terms of how important it is, how important imaging and messaging really is and what an impact it has on us. Because Jonathan, when you were talking earlier, one of the things I thought about these implicit biases that we have and hold as a result of just what's constantly coming at us. I'm 26 now. And without sounding dramatic, I actively thought I was unattractive or ugly until I was about 24. Um, and that is an interesting thing sort of to discover about yourself. And, and I think anyone could do this to make the decision to say that that's not true. I'm not ugly. And it's not because of what I physically look like. Mm -hmm. It just, that's the decision I'm making to believe that. And I think I saw the most change in myself when I realized that I wasn't looking at anyone else who looked like me when I'm when I was comparing myself to mm. the rest of the world. And so when, you know, I would when I was on the Internet, when I was, you know, out in just living life at school, at any job I was at, I overwhelmingly saw people who didn't look like me and they were happy and, you know, doing loving life. And so how could it be that I could do the same thing when when I don't look like that. So a really big change for me was deliberately flooding myself with images of Black people, Black women, Black men, Black kids, mm -hmm. um, Black everything in all different ages, shapes, sizes, shades, everything. And it has been one of the most eye-opening, I think, experiences that I've had because it's changed not only how I see myself, but how I view other people. I, you know, found myself thinking, you know, when as as we do as humans, when when we're physically judging a person's appearance and saying, you know, yes to this and no to that, what are we comparing that against? Who gets to be pretty and who gets mm -hmm. to be ugly? And I was always myself was coming up short. And I realized that it's because I wasn't even giving myself a fair shot. Society wasn't going to give me a fair shot because every supermodel, every actress, every star out there or, you know, 90 percent of them are white. And so that must be what beauty is, right? If they're 
if they're successful and on the covers of magazines or making it into the, the best movies, that that must be the key there. You must have to be white and beautiful. Um, but when I when I started to give myself a fair shot, I started to, um, yeah, to deliberately avoid one, those images and to to only give myself images of, of black people. It sounds mm-hmm. so shallow, um, but we're human and and that's no. how that those are the things that that affect us internally uh, unfortunately is how you know how we compare ourselves to everyone else and so the more positivity i i, I saw in black people just living lives on you know social media on you know in magazines and in and in, in movies it changed so much how i was able to mm-hmm. see myself and to realize that i i won and tell myself that I'm not only am I not ugly, but I'm beautiful because I'm black. And no mm-hmm. longer am I ugly because I'm black. I'm, I'm beautiful because of that. And here's proof. Look at all these millions of people. Look at all their faces. And they look right. like mine. They have features like mine. And yeah, they I see myself in them. And it was such it was such an interesting, an interesting process um, to 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 experience because it was so internal. Obviously, it was me thinking these things to myself. But mm-hmm. it took one, a deliberate choice to say, no longer do I think this about myself. And here I'm going to allow myself all of this proof. Look at all of these black people, these random black people in the world, these pictures of them and us and we exist and, and we're here and, and it's and it's really beautiful. It was a really interesting thing to experience. And like I said, I was 23 or 24 when I when that happened, when I made that decision. And it's been yeah life changing. It's interesting because it was funny because I'm listening to that episode, right? And and I think, Jonathan, you were saying, now we know if we had a white person and we looked at their feed and it was just all of these black people, we'd be like, what's going on, right? And I'm laughing because my speaking of racism Instagram account, I make it a point to only follow and only listen and learn from people of color and primarily black people because I focus heavily on anti-black white supremacy dismantling at this point. But it was really interesting because I noticed a shift in myself as well. You know, I'm looking at all of these travel channel, you know, and just all of these amazing photos of people traveling and going and doing. And I felt this shift as well in the way that I viewed black people when I would see people on the street when I, you know, like I just... It's interesting and it's powerful because you realize when you go through such a specific shift, you realize how powerful media is and marketing and advertising and all of that is a multi-billion dollar industry for a reason. You know, so I know you're saying, you know, it feels kind of shallow, but is it, you know, I, I just, I think it really speaks into a core within us that we don't even recognize yeah. or understand fully. It emphasizes to me, at least, it lets you see people as a hundred percent. I felt like because of how I was viewing mm-hmm. myself and how society was presenting black people to me, I wasn't seeing us yeah. clearly. And so, you know, always being compared to white mm-hmm. people and always coming up short, you know, I'm viewing, uh, I'm viewing myself and other black people at, you know, say 50% or whatever. But when I was able to expand that and to shift that 
visual stimuli, I was able to, I think, see myself, one, wholly, and then to experience the same thing for Black people. So, you know, seeing this sounds very simple, but hopefully one day white people will see Black people as just people, as just another people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that comparison, you know, in, in a perfect right. world won't be there. They, we won't be compared in our, as our, in our proximity to whiteness. And that's, that's really simplifying it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what happens when you surround yourself or at least engage more with Black people and Black images in general. It starts to normalize. And then, yeah, you do see Black people as just everyday beings who walk, you know, the same path that, that white people, people do. Doctors, lawyers, right. business owners, you know, drunks and druggies, everything in between. You know, there is no... Right. <laughs> There's no us and them in that way. We do life. We all do life like that. And I think in letting yourself visually see Black people wholly only makes it easier to, to see us as a race of people in the same way you see white people. Yeah. So, you know, agreed, you know, and, and I can hear it in your voice, Jennifer, that, you know, when you had this sort of realization about how you were viewing subconsciously, you know, considering people of other races, mm-hmm. it, you know, consciously becoming aware of a subconscious influence doesn't happen very often. And when it does, it's really powerful. And so, you know, our mom describes this as being in in a number of ways as being broken and as being um you must white folks must be broken um by this and in order to see it for what it truly is and sort of come to grips with how white supremacy operates and so you know people we're talking about the norm being white and the the standard being white and the default being white those are all ways of saying that white supremacy is very healthy in this country um Yes. Something being the norm is by definition supreme if all the other things are beneath it and not the norm. And so um, that that's just that can't be said enough when you when people have this realization, a conscious realization of an unconscious bias. Um, they've gone their whole life having the unconscious bias and just didn't know it. Um, exactly. And it is powerful. It happened to me as well in the same, you, t- you asked about interracial dating, you know, it was, it was around the same time that April was experiencing this sort of realization that she was beautiful. I looked back on my dating history and, and was sort of trying to assess what I view as beautiful. And, you know, people would ask me in the, before that, you know, oh, do you, you like you only date white women or you must only like white women. And I never thought about it that way. I always thought about it as, well, that's just who is comes up to me and who's attracted to me. And that's just those have been my circumstances. But n- around the same time as April had this realization, I also had one that it was like, no, this not circumstance. It's because those are the people that I find beautiful. And those are the people that I find more attractive if I'm assessing just based on on looks, which is often what our sort of initial take on someone else is. And so, you know, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of unlearning. I still have not I don't I haven't had that. I shouldn't say I had a realization because I I know it exists now, but I have not unlearned it. And I just think that's important for people to to know the same way, you know, Jennifer, you have not you still have implicit and unconscious bias. Of course, you know that. And and Mm -hmm. but now, you know, you do and you can work on trying to identify them. And even if you, you know, if you act on it and catch yourself, you know, like our mom just the other day said something who is white. Um, said something, I forget what it was, but I 
we had to catch her and be like, hey, wait, 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 wait you didn't like think about what you just said, you know, and this is the right. mother of three black children and wife of a of a black racial reconciliation advocate. So, yeah. you know, yeah. sure. But that so. is I mean, and there was this meme going around based on I think it was another podcast and conversation saying that racism isn't the shark, it's the water. And I think that captures so it so well. Because if it is in literally everything you ingest, it becomes such a part of you, right? Um, yeah. And so that's, again, that's one of the reasons, and I know we have to kind of wrap up here. I could talk <laughs> to you guys for hours, but that's why I really appreciate, too, the way that you approach things so methodically in your podcast and and how you are very uh, specific to define what is racism and what are these FTRs? because. If we can establish a shared language, we can work from that, right? And it's so challenging, though, because people love, there have been a number of times I've thought through this conversation about how people love to distract and confuse, and they, they love to come into these conversations and say things about, well, the definition of racism is right. this, or what is white supremacy? And what is this talk about white supremacy being at the root of our nation? And, you know, and there's all of this confusion and chaos around that. But as we move into more conversations on this topic, I think what you guys are doing with establishing, hey, this is where we're coming from. This is the definition that we are functioning from, come on board with that, or you know, like right. there's the door, right? right? Um, I think that's key. But I have just uh, maybe some closing thoughts from you guys on what you think we can be doing to improve communication on this, what you'd like to see change, maybe things that you see currently that are, and I know this is a big question, right? I'm tossing it all at you here at the end, but you can take a bit of it or you know, all of it. What are some things that you see as getting in the way of moving forward in these conversations and in this work? And what are some things that people can be doing to dismantle even those barriers so that they can do this um, work? Yeah, um, that is a big question. Go ahead, April. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Take your I'll pick. Start with something um, maybe a little more practical. I don't know. I've found that, yeah. and this is, you know, one of our FTRs that the term racist itself gets in the way in conversations mm -hmm. with white people um, in general. When someone hears the term racist or God forbid, it's something that they're called. It is um, it's as if it's the worst thing that could ever happen to them. And it often leads to that conversation being over, which is something that if we want any sort of uh we want to see any sort of improvement um, as far as racial, you know, equity, we have to be able to speak to each other. So I'm not sure necessarily what the solution is um, as far as what words we use, but I would make a plea mm -hmm. to white people, to racial allies and to anti-racists um, to spread the word. Being called racist, whatever the definition, you know, you're operating under at the time <laughs> is being called racist is not the end of the world. And if it feels that way to you, right. fight against that, maintain, continue that conversation, you know, maintain your composure and let that soak in, but continue right. on. <laughs> and, you know, we operate under a particular definition of racism that, you know, that may not be the way that everyone speaks about it in, in whatever conversations they're having. But at some point, you know, in your life as a white person, 
it's likely you, you'll be called racist by a Black person, maybe to your face, maybe they'll say it behind your back, who knows. But if you're fortunate enough to have them say it to your face, take that opportunity to hear it and ask why, but don't let that be the end of the conversation. I think that's something that, that's really key to moving forward, and it, it may sound simple, but it we see it so, so far too often um, today where someone is yeah. called racist or a racist and that's it. That is over. Conversation right. done. And and that is yeah. there's no way we'll move forward. That is the, that is the, if that, it's if a that slur. is the case. Right. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. <laughs> language is so key here and, and watching language change is so wild to see. So like, you know, think 10 years ago, if we were talking about if we would have been talking about white supremacy the way that we are now, um, mm. that is a, a term that is in our public sort of lexicon now, which is great. Racism, I think, and racist still have these sort of, in the same sense that white supremacy does, have this sort of sting to them for white people because it's this sort of slur. To white folks, being called racist is like being called the N-word if you're black. Like, it's the worst thing that someone can call you. It's their N-word. And that's wild, right? Like, if the if we're fish and the ocean is racism, then, of course, everyone in it is experience, either experiencing or causing or benefiting from that racism. And so it is, there are so many other euphemisms for it. White privilege is one. I'm happy that people t- discuss white privilege, but what is that? Privilege to do what? Privilege, a privilege is a good thing. A privilege is a, right. a something that you strive for. I would never want the things that white people get because of racism, because of what they cause, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Of course, I'd love to not be followed around in a store when I'm shopping, but, you know, that that's a privilege, quote unquote, of being white. And I just, to me, that's, that's racism. That's what that is. And so if you have white privilege, then of course you have racism. And so, yeah, language is huge. I think one of the big things we talk about a lot on our pod is is relationships and we have to be careful because that can sort of start to sound a little tokenizing um saying you got to get out there and get a black right. friend you know right. to talk to that is not what we're saying you should have multiple people of different races in your life and not just the person you say hi to when you're picking your kids up from school or the other parent you know people who you actually fellowship with and have over to your house and who your friends you know you have game nights with you know i i ask people to look back at their wedding photos who was in your wedding um who were the most the closest people to you in your life when you were married what were their races what did your wedding party look like and you know that i'm always looking for incentives for white people to help with it i think there is no greater incentive than having close relationships to people that are black and brown so that provides the sort of imperative i think but it also it's a double whammy it also can can and will if it's an honest and open relationship serve as an education for the white person. Um, and that doesn't, that's not to say that you have to have black and brown friends and sit around and talk about race with them all day. But if you know their lives and you are, you know them in an intimate way, not necessarily a romantic way, but an intimate way, you will hear about race and racism. And if you don't, then they're probably not as close <laughs> with you as you think that they are um, because all black and brown people experience it. And so there are a few who deny it, but they're in the minority, the VAT, the overwhelming minority. So if you have those close people in your life and, and they aren't talking to you about it, or you're not hearing about their experiences, then they're probably not as close to you as you think. And so 
Um, that's another one is, is relationships. That's the big, that's if I could have people, you know, go out and I knew they would, you know, sort of follow an action item, it would be Mm -hmm. to diversify the close relationships that you have, because it's, there's so many benefits that come from that. Um, and I think that's something our mom would say being sort of plopped down into a black community in Jackson, Mississippi, where she met my dad. And I think that's what most people who have deep personal connections most white people who have deep personal connections with black and brown people would say about those relationships. So, And it's interesting, too, because I'll have a lot of white people DM me and say, I don't live around any people of color. How do I even broach this? How do I do this? And so that's where I think podcasts and books right. and, you know, the Internet can be so incredibly helpful. So I would recommend anybody who's listening to this, go and subscribe and listen to Black Ann and and learn from what they're sharing and the guests that they're bringing on. So where can people find you and follow you if you have even beyond the podcast? Sure. So we so our podcast is called Black Ands and it's one word and black and is the and and that uh word is the ampersand it's the the and symbol um so black and then the symbol um and we are you can listen to us pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts uh in uh, apple podcasts spotify um google play etc um we are on instagram at black and podcast and those are all the words spelled out and we are yeah i mean other than that i have a pretty active social media presence on uh on twitter and facebook at jonathan perk p-e-r-k and you know april and i both sort of contribute to our podcast platform uh uh on instagram and and of course on the pod itself but we're not here to sort of promote ourselves as much as we are trying to have good conversations and trying to make sure that as many people as possible hear um, the conversations that we have which are these sort of honest conversations about race that i think are really lacking in our sort of discourse all right well thank you so much guys for coming on the show and anytime you you want to come back you are welcome thank you so much jennifer 